Welcome to the Respectful Divorce Podcast. If you're considering a divorce, it's important to know that you have options for how you divorce. On the Respectful Divorce Podcast, we explore those options and provide advice from divorce professionals. We'll also talk with divorce clients about what went right and what went wrong in their divorce. On today's edition of the Respectful Divorce Podcast, we're talking with Helen Pigeon, an attorney solicitor in London and a collaborative divorce attorney. Helen specializes in international divorce and recently launched a website for divorces involving USA and UK citizens. Now, here's our host, collaborative divorce attorney Camille Milner, with today's podcast. This is the Respectful Divorce Podcast, and today we are talking with Helen Pigeon, a family attorney in London. We are talking with her about her work in international divorces and her new website that focuses on divorces involving United States and United Kingdom citizens. Helen, thanks for joining us. Hi, Camille. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. I have had tea with you at the St. Pancras Marriott uh, train station tea room, and it's a pleasure to get to see you again, even if it's just having to be by Zoom now. No, lovely to see you again. And that, that was the home of Hogwarts and the, uh, the the Harry Potter Express. Oh, that's right. That's right. So there's all sorts of things right there at St. Pancras and King's Cross Station. I look forward to coming back there and meeting with you again. Today, I wanted to talk a little bit about what your focus is in terms of your international work. I understand that, that you are doing international divorces. Um, I don't know if they're primarily with United States and UK citizens. It may be many other areas. Um, and talk about, if you would, your collaborative work, your mediation work, and and how it applies to the international jurisdictions in which you work, if you would. Yes, of course. So I've been uh, doing international divorces for probably about 25 years now. Uh, I have a wide range of experience of doing divorces, particularly with US citizens who have a link to the UK. But my practice is also worldwide. So we have a lot of citizens in the rest of Europe, in the Far East, the Middle East and Australia. So it takes us wherever. But I do have a particular interest in cases with US citizens. London is a very cosmopolitan city. There are a lot of Americans living and working here, running businesses or they own property here. And I've built up over the years a number of contacts with US attorneys throughout the entire US who specialize in family law. There's often quite a crossover between our two jurisdictions and a family may well live and work in both countries. And it may be the opportunity when they do separate to decide which is the uh, preferred option as to where they would take their proceedings, whether that's in the UK or the US, or it could in fact be both. Collaborative and mediation are also very useful tools in helping a couple resolve their family issues over the time of separation, and that can be used internationally as well. So on the jurisdiction question, uh, is the question when you're dealing with an international divorce similar when you're dealing with just a divorce within your own jurisdiction, that there are considerations that are reviewed when you decide where where to file? Yes. So, for example, the first point I think we would consider is what is the likely outcome to be in the UK and then in whichever state it is in the US. So if you're acting for a particular client, are they likely to get a better deal here in the UK or a better deal in their their state in the US? 
And for that, we would want to get very early, quick advice from a UK lawyer and a US practitioner in that state to say, if proceedings were started, what would the financial outcome be? Or what would the effect on the children be? Then you can decide which would be the better jurisdiction to start the proceedings in. After that, you need to consider, can you actually start proceedings? Do you have jurisdiction? So, for example, um, there are some criteria that would have to be met to qualify you to allow you to start proceedings here in the UK. No doubt there are similar qualifications for each state in the US. So once you're armed with all that information, you can then consider with your client and with your US counterpart, which state or which country would be the better one to instigate the proceedings in. And it may be sometimes as a combination. Sometimes you do one part in one and one part in the other. So you can divorce in one country, but then sort out the finances in another. So is with many other areas of the law, in international divorces, getting the information as soon as possible is key. Absolutely. This is just the same because the, the rule is whichever country takes the jurisdiction first normally is the one that ends up with it. If you want to dispute that, then there is something called forum non-convenience, where you have a court hearing in one of the countries to say, this is the most convenient country, this is the country we have the most links with, and this is the country that should take jurisdiction, even though we may not have been first in time to issue. But being first in time to issue adds an extra strength to your case. That, that is a term that we also have in the United States, at least in Texas. So we are familiar with that term of foreign nonconvenience. So could you tell us just a little bit about what an international divorce might look like and how it would look if it were litigated versus with collaborative process or mediation? I think the principles would be very similar to those that you're familiar with in Texas. Um, I think the idea is that you know how to separate a couple and deal with matters concerning their finances and the arrangements for their children. I would hope as amicably and as friendly as possible. I would hope that it would be done initially without having the need to recourse for litigation. And that's where mediation or collaborative may well come in because that's a process that can be used if both parties agreed at the outset not to file in either jurisdiction, but to let the process work its magic and see, see if they could reach a resolution, then I would strongly advocate trying mediation or collaborative, first of all. And to do that, um, we can do that internationally now with, with the magic of Zoom that everybody's got used to over the, the COVID pandemic. Um, it doesn't matter where any of us are based. We can all join up remotely and have those conversations. We don't all have to be in the same town or city or, or country even. So that is where I have good experience of doing mediation and collaborative using the technology. In terms of litigation, um, the outcomes we would consider, as I said earlier, what would be more preferable to a particular client? Would they get more money here, more money there, you know, own more property? What are, what are our pre-acquired assets taken into account or not taken into account? Um, are post-marital assets taken into account or not? So all those factors would be considered. But ultimately, however the methodology we use, we end up with a court order saying what each party is going to get and a, a divorce order saying that they are formally divorced and separated. And how logistically does that work? If a U.S. citizen or a U.K. citizen got a decree from the other country, 
how would that be enforced and what are the logistics of that to make it work? So if, if a U.S. citizen got a divorce in America and they were living and working here in England, the U.K. would recognise their divorce. Uh, the UK recognises all international divorces that were obtained properly and correctly by the procedures of the country in which they were obtained. So if it's, if it's recognised in a particular state, we would recognise it here. In terms of a financial order, if an order was obtained in the States, um, we could then apply for it to be recognised here in the UK if parts of elements of it needed to be enforced in the UK. So, for example, transferring a property between them or pensions is a good one. We often on pensions cases have to, if there's a UK pension, for example, and we get this a lot with Texan cases whereby people may work in the oil industry in both the UK and Texas, but their company may have a British pension. Um, you have to convert your US pension order, your quadro, into a UK pension sharing order to be enforced against the UK pension sharing company. There is a process we follow for that. It, it's administrative, it's procedural. Um, you don't have to attend the court. It's all done by sending particular documents and forms in. But it's good for us to be able to advise at an early stage, getting the information from the pension company as to how that would work. Um, so that's a particular area that is, is particularly common to Texas. And you used an acronym a moment ago. I'm going to dig a little deeper in with you. And you said quadro. Um, could you explain what a qualified domestic relations order is and if it is unique to the United States or if you have a similar order that is uh, in, in the UK? Yes, it's an order that deals with the sharing of the pension fund. It gives permission to the pension company to transfer um, some of the pension monies from one pension fund into that of the other party. The quadro itself, as I understand, is particularly unique to the states, um, but we have a similar order. We call it a pension sharing order in the UK, but the two of them have the same effect and are very similar. But the UK pension funds, for example, will only recognise a UK court order. So what we do is we take the US order, we convert it into a UK order, and the pension fund could then implement it. I see. And that's not unlike how we do it within the states in the United States. If yeah. you would, Helen, tell us what the process of a collaborative divorce looks like in the UK and internationally. Who are the players? How does it look around the table? And how is it the same and different than mediation? So collaborative is the same in the UK as in the US. And in fact, I've, um, I'm a member of the IACP and um, I attend many of their meetings in the US and got to know a lot of US collaborative lawyers over the years. Um, we in the UK tend to practice with two attorneys. So one attorney for each client. And we have meetings if everybody is present in one place. We have meetings around the table. And the process of collaborative is, is very much on a without prejudice basis. It's putting all your cards on the table, openly and honestly discussing the various options for a settlement and not being afraid to give your advice to your, your client within that meeting. That's the same internationally. It's the same way as I understand matters happen in the US. 
We can also invite a, a financial person to come and give advice if we want more financial information, for example, on pensions or more complex financial structures. Um, more commonly, I believe in Texas particularly and the rest of the states, you often have a mental health professional who can help in the negotiations. That's less common in the UK, um, but it's certainly something that's available. The idea behind it is that everybody is open, honest, puts all their cards there, and we talk about what the various options are and how they work for everybody. But having your attorney in the meeting gives you the opportunity to get advice as you go along. Mediation differs. And again, mediation, I understand, would be very similar in the States as it is in the UK, that you appoint one independent mediator who often can be a family lawyer, so they know the background and history to the law and how that would be applied. The parties come themselves. And again, it's an open and honest conversation. The mediator can't give legal advice. They can give me legal information and they can give general information to say, well, a court might look at this this way, or normally in this situation, a court would do this, that, or the other. They can't give positional advice to either party. The mediator is there to try and help the conversation flow between the parties, explore various options, and help them through those conversations reach agreements. And do you find that most cases, both in the UK itself, one citizen of the UK versus another citizen of the UK in a divorce or internationally settle predominantly without going to litigation? Yes, I would say the vast majority of cases do settle without litigation, either using mediation, collaborative, or simply lawyers negotiating, but without issuing court proceedings. Um, but those that do go to court, often have a, a settlement. So in the UK, we have a, a stage within the process whereby a judge acts as almost as a quasi-mediator. He has everybody in. We have a day with the judge. We both argue our positions. He says, this is what I think would happen if I was hearing this case today. Now go away and spend the rest of the day trying to negotiate. Um, and most cases that are litigious would settle at that phase. It's very rare now for a case to go to a trial. I am admiring that your judges do that. Our judges are very hesitant to do what would be called an advisory opinion. Um, but once in a while, when a judge will give an informal, not on the record advisory opinion, it very often does prompt and promote settlement without further litigation. There's so a big promotion here. There's a big promotion here in the UK at the moment for out-of-court settlements. The court service is under extreme financial pressure. Um, it's, it's very poorly funded by the government. Um, and at the moment, everything is being done to try and persuade individuals not to use the court process, but to use alternatives such as mediation, collaborative, you can, have, you can have what's called an early neutral evaluation. So you can go to an independent person, uh, a specialist uh, lawyer, to say, this is what my, both sides of the case are. What would you do? What do you think a court would do? And you can then act upon that evaluation. You can also hire a private judge and pay privately for a judge um, to, to hear your case outside of the normal court system and make a decision and help you reach agreements. So... There are lots of things being done to get people away from the litigious court forum, but getting expert input at every stage. That's a, 
a great progressive way to handle these. Um, and we are we are having some of that here, but I think you all may be a little bit more progressive than even we are in the States. And I commend you for that. You were going to speak just a little bit, if you would, about one of the issues that is of particular importance in an international divorce regarding taxes. Yes, I mean, one of the things we can offer advice from to, to US clients is we can um, consider what the tax implications are on the settlement between uh, the US and the UK. So you may well have property and assets in both jurisdictions. And in any settlement, you need to take into account the taxes. So we can give some generic advice ourselves, but we can also help put you and your attorneys in touch with specialist tax lawyers here in the UK that can give more detailed advice Bunch some numbers, come up with some figures. We can do the same with uh, pensions advisors so that they can consider the, the values of pension pots and what incomes would be obtained. Uh, we can also assist in terms of property valuation. So again, we can put you in touch with property valuers if there's a property here that you need to have valued or find out how likely it is to be marketed, you know, what, what a sale price would be, how quickly it would sell. So those are all things that we can offer as sort of freestanding services just to put you in touch with contacts that we've used over many years um, and have a good rapport with and, and, and also equally used to often dealing with um, US clients. And this enables you to customize each of these divorce plans with very high level professionals, which I assume makes it more efficient and just a better overall settlement or resolution of the case. Would that be correct? Yeah, so if you're armed with all the information, you have all the facts and figures, you know what's going to happen, then I think you, you would you know, have a good chance of reaching a settlement and also making sure that it is a settlement that can be easily implemented and not one that's going to come back with lots of questions later. And again, it is complicated when you're trying to deal with assets in two different jurisdictions. You would need to get the advice on both sides of the pond to be able to make sure that everything matched US and UK tax law is very complicated, and um, there are specialist firms that, that do deal with that. So overall, it sounds like, Helen, one of the, maybe the only good thing that has come out of the COVID pandemic is because we are all citizens of the world now, and because Zoom and other platforms such as Zoom are enabled you to do international divorces without everybody being in the same place, that is a, a very positive result of COVID. Oh, absolutely. I think the use of technology has gone in leaps and bounds as a result of COVID. So using Zoom, our courts have now gone uh, virtual. Most of our court hearings are currently on Zoom, which again, assists international clients because you don't have to come over to the UK necessarily to attend court. We can get permission for overseas clients to, to attend court hearings by, by video link, which saves on costs and time. Um, the filing of a lot of court proceedings are now uh, digital. Um, it was something that was starting to, to move forward, but we're now that speeded it up tremendously. Um, all of our documents are digitized. Uh, we have uh, uh, bundles, which are now um, PDF files rather than paper. So I think COVID has brought forward a, a lot of those things. One of the things we have also on our website is a, a, a very user-friendly form, which we ask clients to complete in advance of meeting with us. 
And it provides us with a lot of information about the clients before we meet so we can consider the advice that we're going to give them in advance. But it also provides the client with a lot of information back initially when they fill in the form about how the law works, what might work for them, um, what the options are, including international points they need to be considering. Um, And I think a lot of our clients have given us a lot of feedback to say it's been hugely beneficial and it's helped focus their minds before they come to a meeting. It's helped them go and find facts and figures which are useful for us um, and given them a lot of advanced information before they actually even engage with us. So again, that's another technological um, aspect which has come into fruition. Thank you so much for joining me on the Respectful Divorce Podcast today, Helen. It's just been a pleasure. I know we could talk for a lot more time than we have, and there's a lot more information that you could provide to clients and other lawyers. And I look forward to possibly continuing this conversation at another time and maybe doing an even deeper dive at that point. Your new website is www, excuse me, your new website is www.usaukfamilylaw.com. Is that correct? Did I say it right? Absolutely. That, that's perfect, Camille. And thank you very much for having me on the podcast today. I've enjoyed it. And I look forward to now travel restrictions listing coming back to the US. Oh, and I look forward to coming over there and seeing you again. Thanks so much. Thank you. Goodbye. Thanks for joining us for the Respectful Divorce Podcast. For more information on divorces involving U.S. and U.K. citizens, go to usaukfamilylaw.com. You'll also find that link in the show notes. Collaborative divorce is a better way to untie the knot.